Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Andrew Woodward, who's the founder of Investors Way. He's also a chartered accountant, has been a company secretary and director, and has 25 years in finance positions. More famous recently for an article that he wrote entitled, Why You Shouldn't Pay Off Your Mortgage. A provocative title there, but we'll get into the nitty gritty about that. Andrew's a big believer in mindset, and as a wealth creation coach, we talk to him about what that means and what his process is for helping his clients achieve their financial goals. Here's Andrew. Andrew Woodward, thanks for joining us on Geared for Growth. Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleased to be here. Awesome. Now, I just wanted to kick uh, the interview off with uh, an explanation of of who you are and what you specialise in, Andrew. Yeah, look, I'm uh, a wealth and money coach based in Sydney with clients in Australia, USA, UK, New Zealand and Canada. And uh, I specialise in teaching via either online courses or coaching programs. Yeah, I teach people how to take control of their money and build for a secure financial future. It sounds like we've found a good guest for our listener base, Andrew. I'm <laughs> looking forward to diving into that. So we can Excellent. get a bit of background into the real Andrew. What sort of posters were on the bedroom wall growing up? <laughs> um, posters on the bedroom wall. Uh, look, I'm a really big sports fan and um, I, I, I can probably recall a Michael Jordan poster being there at some point. Nice. And uh, probably the odd Australian cricket team as well. Yes, well, uh, things have changed a little bit there. You might have to revise some of your, your heroes, although I think the old yeah. guard are still okay. You can take Steve Waugh to the bank, right? Yeah, I'm safe with the old guard. I just, uh, yeah. So I, I know you invest uh, in, in a few different sort of vehicles, but how did you get started in property and what was your first investment? Uh, I, look, I got started in property after attending um, a, a, a workshop a wealth workshop that covered a little bit more than just property, but uh, I left that thing, that um, workshop, pretty motivated. And my first investment was a two-bedroom unit in the Sutherland Shire that I actually still own today. Wow, down the Shire, and uh, I mean, so, yeah, so so for people that aren't from Sydney, that's obviously just a, around about what 20, 30 minutes from the CBD, but on the on the beautiful coast down there. Yeah, it's. I think it's commonly referred to as God's country. God's country, yeah. And and property prices. I mean, anywhere have done exceptionally well in Sydney over the last. Uh, well, over the last sort of four or five years, uh, in particular. But you've done pretty well out of that one, I'd imagine. Yeah, that one. Um, I've uh, done one major renovation and one tidy up in the time that I've had it and it's it's tripled in value in the time that I've had it. Excellent. Okay, well we'll have what you're having. Let's uh <laughs> let let's jump into this uh Andrew. I I wanted to to kick off by by asking you a question about you being a a seminar junkie. It, it's pretty clear that you were devouring content around wealth creation and 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 checking out seminars since since back in the mid 90s. What do, do the books and the seminars have have anything in common and did you find any value that you were able to apply to, to your investment journey? Yeah, look, that's a really good question because I think um, most of the seminars um, are pretty similar to each other um, and one of the things that they tend to do really well is um, teach people um, how great the returns can be and, and how you can do it yourself and they tend to spend probably 90% of the time on, on what to do but very little time on the how. 
and um, the hard parts of their strategies tend to get uh, glossed over because they uh, one they probably don't want to lose people at the same time they probably don't want to scare them off with um, too many hard facts so I tended to go in after the first one or two that I went to I went in with a pretty open mind with um, I guess the intent of making sure I walked away with a minimum of one piece that I could work with going forward and I think that's the key whether it's books or webinars or seminars is that there's always going to be something that you can pick up from from attending or listening or reading so you know, if you go in with an open mind, um, you can certainly uh, learn a lot. I, I guess you're right is that we, we want the fun stuff. We want to talk about where we're going to buy and what the returns are. And I think that that has contributed to the term wealth creation being something that people approach with, with scepticism. Now, you're, you're a self-professed wealth coach, I guess. What, what does wealth creation mean to you? Yeah, look, that's uh, that's something that I have um, had to evolve a little over the the last few years because when I told people that I was uh, teaching wealth creation, it was you know the the first response was what's that, right? So and that was really strange to me because I thought like who doesn't get what wealth creation is? <laughs> but, uh, clear, clearly, it's not a common term, and uh, and you're right about the skepticism. I mean. Um, there's so many horror stories that you see on um, you know, the current affairs programs of people who have been ripped off that um, there's a fair amount of fear out there. So um, for me, you know, wealth creation is a pretty simple term. It's about building an asset base that provides you with some income so that you can live off that income and you can also benefit from capital growth to expand your net worth. And your net worth basically is just your ass- what you own, your assets, minus what you owe, which is your debts. That's, uh, that's an interesting, I guess, exercise for, for property investors to look into as well. It's not something that people think about a lot, is, is sitting down with a pen and paper and actually calculating what they're worth. Is, is that a common thread that you're seeing with investors? Absolutely. And I actually wrote uh, in one of my blog, blog posts uh, a couple of weeks ago about keeping score. And keeping score is working out what that net worth is. And, you know, again, it comes back to um, attitude and, and mindset in that people um, you know, need to keep score so that they know that they're progressing. And if, you know, because wealth creation is a long term game. So if, if you're not keeping score, it can be quite easy to get lost and, um, I guess, disgruntled if you're not. You know, seeing the results of what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess people forget that buying investment property is not necessarily a hobby. It's probably a bloody expensive one if you don't take it seriously. So it's important to sort of track how you're going, I guess. Can we, um, can we jump back to your professional background? Uh, you, you were a finance director, company secretary, CEO. Did, did, did those positions help you learn about wealth creation or was it just about... I just helped you because you were on a reasonable salary. Oh, look, that's a really good question because, um, you know, if I was to think about that, I would say the practical answer would be that absolutely those roles must have helped me. But I think in reality, not really is probably a, a fairer answer. Um, and, and that, you know, probably takes me down a, a deep uh, path of part of the reason why I created The Investor's Way, which is that at school and at university, you're not taught how to look after your money. And even though I had, you know, finance roles and CEO roles, um, 
they, there was no teaching element about how to manage a budget or manage money. So it became fairly self-taught. Uh, and sure, being exposed to you know, large budgets and you know, multi-million dollar budgets and having to manage those has absolutely um, helped, uh, I guess, my experience. Uh, but most of what I've done has been you know, not necessarily just self-taught, but certainly self-motivated. And you know, my you know, love for numbers has certainly helped um, drive me down that path. But um, it's, it's something that I, I come back to a lot and that. Yeah, we're just not taught at school how to look after our money and then we're thrown into the big bad world and expected to um, manage you know, this money flow that starts coming in that you, know, you may or may not have ex- you know, had any experience with in, the, you know, in your schooling years. And um, you know, it, it can be quite daunting for people. I think people uh, pick on Pythagoras in school, right? Like we're, we're, we're always hearing people saying, I've never used Pythagorean theorem, so we should be learning about things that we can actually use. I don't think Pythagoras has to go, but there's there's a gap, right? We're, we're, we're not getting that financial literacy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, I was one of those nerdy kids at school who, uh, who did uh, a high level of mathematics and I was getting into dealing with you know, skip, square roots of negative numbers and most people will tell you that that's impossible. So <laughs> um, you can tell how much I've used that uh, post-schooling as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no, there's no negative numbers on this podcast, that's for sure. Now, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about a, a terribly provocative article that you put out there and that was titled, Why You Shouldn't Pay Off Your Mortgage. What's been the feedback from that one? Uh, well, look, I should say that the title, I think, was brilliant, but it wasn't my work. Uh, and when you submit to the media, as you'd probably know, you get to write the article, but you don't always get to write the title. But uh, I was quite happy that I came up with that one because the response was fantastic. And I've written a few times for that um, particular uh, media and that article probably generated you know, five times the interest and response compared to other articles. So I've had no negative response, uh, but certainly uh, it has generated lots of interest and lots of people coming to my website and you know, there's been emails and uh, there's a whole host of uh, response, which has been fantastic. Well, that well, that's great. And I mean, you, you, you can't you sort of can't blame the media for coming up with their their fantastic titles. They want people to read the the content, and and I think there's value in the content. So whatever gets people reading it, then then that's that's fine with me. But um, yeah. just just in case people uh, maybe have skimmed that one, Andrew, the, the, the crux of it was that uh, I could call the bank and say, I'm not going to pay my mortgage because Andrew Woodward told me not to. <laughs> well, well, Mike, uh, yeah, I'd love to have a chat with your bank. Uh, yeah, we could see if we can do a deal but uh, to get you a better rate. <laughs> but... Uh, um, uh, the, the crux of the article was certainly not not to pay your mortgage. Uh, I made sure I got that sentence in there and I made sure that uh, when the editing process was done that that sentence remained. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly, as you said, it was provocative and um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to poke me a little bit further as to what I meant by uh, the article, so <laughs> we should do that. As fun as it would be to just move on, no, there's obviously some extreme value in that article outside of it, uh, it, it, it having that sort of um, provocative title. But when we're drilling down into it, you're, I guess the motivation was, was you were challenging an old belief that maybe comes from our parents' generations that 
the that the the golden path was to to get a job to buy a house a picket fence is is great if you can make it a uh, quarter acre of course all that sort of stuff work hard pay it off and you've made it right is is that the sort of pervasive notion that you wanted to challenge absolutely yes so and and you know i should be clear in saying that um you know, get a good job and buy the house. There's no challenge of that concept whatsoever. It's the last part that uh, is really where I'm challenging um, the the established thinking, which is if you pay off your home, uh, everything will be okay. Uh, and that's yeah, that's the bit that I really wanted to to delve into and say that it's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah, your, your home when paid off uh, might be growing in value but there's no income coming from that home to help you with your living expenses. And that's the bit that I really, uh, really drilled into. Yeah, so paying off your home does does seem like obvious, sensible advice, but we're, we're missing out on the power of in investing and, and things like leveraging and compounding. So can you elaborate a little bit on, on sort of the nuts and bolts of what you're getting at there? Yeah, this is where the rubber really hits the road. So that, you know, as, as we've said, the old advice was to pay off the home and everything would be nice. You'd have a secure future um, and everyone would be happy. But what that advice omits is that your home can't pay those living expenses. So to be truly secure, you need you know, some passive income, which is income you earn from investments rather than from your personal exertion or your time. So by paying down your mortgage, you're creating an asset that you can then use to take advantage of leverage and compounding. And, and leveraging is the ability to, to borrow, to borrow more money against that asset and uh, and you know like uh, the simple term of leverage is uh, if you had say a hundred thousand available to you you might be able to borrow another four hundred thousand or more depending on you know the, the the time and the markets and the interest rates but it's it's basically converting uh, one dollar into four or five dollars and and that then gives you the ability to take advantage of compounding which is where you're making returns and reinvesting those returns and those reinvested returns are building your asset base, which means you're earning more as each year ticks along. And as those returns keep coming in, you're compounding the return of those returns. So, so paying off the home leaves you with you know, just one asset that you know, history would have suggested will continue to increase in value. And that's great. But compounding uh, enables you to continue to add additional assets and the leveraging does that as well. And so you get to a period of time where you've got a far larger asset base growing for you and adding value and, more importantly, generating an income for you. It's also likely that we're going to have a, a, a safer position in some respects. Obviously, there's the, the risks of, of taking on debt for, for assets that maybe don't go up in value. But comparing, say, a portfolio of three or four properties to all of your eggs being in the family home, you're, you're, there's, there's benefits in the diversification as well, right? Absolutely, and you know, diversification is, an, is a, uh, a word that we could probably spend two or three podcasts talking about, but um, absolutely having all your eggs in the family home is, is not that um, safe and secure message that uh, history has, through our parents and their parents, has suggested. 
Now, there's another, I guess, a relatively new financial tool that seems like it would also fly in the face of this old word, well, methodology, and that's the the reverse mortgage. So let's say we we don't go down that path of of building equity and utilising that and diversifying and getting the income streams. Uh, I mean, that that is a way to potentially finance yourself in retirement if you're you're pulling that equity to, to derive an income as well, right? Yeah, look, I, I, I guess my view on reverse mortgages would be that um, they're great for for you at the time, but uh, if you're wanting to leave, uh, I guess, not necessarily a legacy, but if you're wanting to leave something for you know, your family um, after you pass away, then reverse mortgages are not going to help you do that. They might help you. Uh, live a, a lifestyle that you've become accustomed to throughout your retirement years, but that's that's where the fun ends. And then I, I wouldn't imagine they're particularly popular. I mean, if the old guard's wanting to get a job, pay off the house, they're not necessarily wanting going to want to start giving it back. And as much as we have all the margarine uh, ads telling us to spend our kids' inheritance, I think <laughs> I think most parents do want to be able to leave something to their children, right? Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you've been brought up in an era where the the mantra was pay off your mortgage and then you stop working and they say, now let's just go back and get it and start all over again, you know, I just think that's a mindset that just doesn't work with that, that era. So let's, let's say we ignore the advice, we get a good job, we pay off the house by the age of, let's say, 50, 55. Typically, where would that person stand from a wealth perspective compared to someone that did utilise that equity and maybe pull the deposits to get a diversified investment property um, by you know utilize, tapping into that equity, equity along the way? Yeah, okay. Look, I'm going to get into some numbers, so hopefully we don't lose people here. And I'm going to keep them really simple so that um, you know, the... The maths don't confuse the situation, but the outcome is, you know, the the example is what I'm trying to demonstrate. So Please, I am terrified by your high level of, of maths. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're going to hit the ceiling real quick, Andrew. Yeah, yeah we're not going to go into negative numbers or square roots or anything like that. Good, so good. We'll, we'll keep it nice and round and hopefully people can stay with us. But let's say that that um, typical example is somebody who has a home that's worth, they're, they're 50 years old and that home's worth a million dollars, which... In today's environment, it's not overly, um, you know, it's not a big stretch to imagine that you know, it's it's uh, achievable. So they own that outright, and that's great. The kid's probably happy that they know mum and dad are sitting on uh, a, a million-dollar property that um, they own outright. So as I said before, the first thing that's not doing is putting any money in that person's pocket. Um, that home is there, and that's it. That's all it's, all it's doing. It, probably growing at maybe, and again, let's use really conservative numbers and say it's growing at, say, 5% a year. So that million dollars is growing by 50,000, you know, a little bit more each year as that compounds. But that's that's the sum of that uh, scenario. If you contrast that with someone who's been an active investor, and let's say they only started when they were 30, uh, they may not have completely paid down their mortgage by the time they're 50, because they've been using some of their money for investing purposes. So let's say they've got theirs down to 200,000 and they've, they've been able to use that equity, that 800,000 uh, along the way. And let's just for really simple reasons say that they've only bought three properties. Yep. Um, with that 800,000, 
that may mean, you know, and I'm going to use just one to three, which again is extremely convert, conservative, but let's say they've bought another $2.4 million worth of assets. That would mean that they're sitting on $3.4 million in assets, which at 5% is growing at $170,000 a year. And that's compared with the person who just has their family home, who's only growing at 50000 a year. And without getting into all the nuts and bolts of debts and, and net worth and all the rest, the, the simple fact is that uh, those three additional properties would more than likely be cash flow positive, meaning after all the expenses of holding them, they'd be putting an income into that, uh, that household. So not only are they growing uh, at a higher rate, but they're also earning an income so that if they wanted to or chose to work less or not work at all, there's still an income coming in. That was going to be and my next question. I mean, you, you've used some some fairly conservative numbers there, but we're you know we're sitting on three point four million dollars worth of assets, and if we're we're talking eight hundred k of equity with three properties, it's it's very very likely that very quickly they would be positively geared, and especially by the time they get to to fifty years old. So not only are they not costing you to hold on to an appreciating asset they're putting money back in your pocket as well and it's money that we can get right because in the first scenario they might be sitting on a million dollar property but but where's the cash flow coming from that's right yeah and we we touched on reverse mortgages which is other than just a straight out um you know line of credit yeah, that's, they're the only ways that you can get access to that money in that family home if you're not uh, an active investor. So you know, the, the key message that I teach people is you need to start thinking about your future financial self so that you're taking care of yourself 20, 30, 40 years down the track, just depending on you know, how long you plan to live and, and when you start. And it's crucial that you create an income flow that will be there for you when you need it because who knows what's going to happen with um, pensions and superannuation and all those type of things. So you really need to be active now so that you're taking taking some care of yourself down the track. It's high level and I encourage people listening to do what I did and jot down your figures um, with a pen on, on a pad so you can have a look at them. I mean, they're conservative numbers and we're talking a, a huge difference. You, you mentioned superannuation. So in, in both of those scenarios, we're assuming that someone has you know, and I suppose an average job and they're putting money into super, that, 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 that is absolutely something that in scenario one where you're just paying off the home, you would have to be relying on, whereas in scenario two, perhaps, perhaps not at all. What, what sort of super balances are we typically getting to and, and, and is that enough to, to fund a lifestyle if you're sort of retiring at 65 and, and living for another 20 years? Well, I think uh, I don't know these numbers uh, in detail, but I know there's an alarming rise in, um, I guess, media about people not having enough for their retirement. And uh, I've seen people talk about um, a ratio of 25 to 1 being what you need in uh, in your super. So if you're earning $50,000 now, you need 25 times 50 uh, 25 times 50,000 in super to be roughly uh, equivalent when you get to retirement age. So wow. uh, it, it's it's pretty scary to hear that people uh, just don't have enough in their super. Uh, and there's lots and lots of uh, scenarios right now where people are retiring and, and realizing they just don't have anywhere near enough money to have the same lifestyle they had whilst working, which is forcing people to work longer. 
Yeah, forcing them to work longer or in this particular scenario, we might need to sell that million dollar property and, and downsize, which I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of competition with the aging population or, or maybe potentially even having to move to a rural area where you're outside of family. So it, it, it doesn't, it's, it's not the scenario that uh, looks the most attractive on this, uh, this scribbled uh, pad that I've got here, Andrew. <laughs> Yeah, and the flow-on impacts that you've just touched on are quite, you know, quite devastating in some scenarios where, you know, you've, you've people are getting elderly, they're getting ailments, uh, and as you said, they're having to move away from the family who can support them, um, just because you know, they they just don't have enough money put aside in super to or investments to to look after themselves, and so that's that was you know really what drove my motivation to start the investor's way in the first place i think it's uh it's a very powerful thing when you can see that in those conservative numbers what the difference is and what a bit of forward planning can can actually make as a difference to your lifestyle and and what you're able to 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 perhaps pass on to to family when when your time is up Jumping back into that article, should, should we never pay off the house or is the goal at the end to use the equity in the investments or let's say we have five properties, we sell maybe two of them to, to clear all of our debts and we have a couple of properties giving us cash flow and the, and the, the place of residence is paid off? Yeah, look, I think this one becomes a bit of a personal choice. So um, my view is I think you touched on something there where um, – you you may sell something, although I'm I come firmly from the belief that you should never sell property unless you've made a really bad choice. But um, yeah, you can get to the point where you've paid off that mortgage, uh, but you're still drawing down against the family home to to continue the investment process. But you know, I've heard of a a person who keeps ten dollars in his mortgage at all times, so that um, it's always available for him to draw down against if he needs to. So he's never shut it down. He's never paid it off <laughs> in full. It's he's always left at least a balance of ten dollars. And you know, really, as I said, you know, whether you leave ten dollars there or you pay it out in full, the key is to make sure that you have arrangements in place with the bank that enable you to access that equity. I think that's where sometimes a bit of uh, people like yourself that, that think creatively think about the numbers sort of can help us out because there's a, I guess, a temptation to, to pay the property off and get the bottle of champagne and say it's ours sort of thing. But just having that flexibility of being able to redraw if there's something that you needed the money for as an emergency or there's a potential investment that opportunity that fell in your lap that's taking a little bit more of a of an educated sort of balanced view right yeah that's right and it's it's just providing you with that flexibility as you said so that if something comes along or you you know circumstances present uh, for you to be able to add to your portfolio then you can do it without having to reapply for a whole brand new mortgage, which if you pay it off, that's pretty much what you're having to do each time is go in and apply for a brand new mortgage. Whereas if you leave a little bit there, uh, it's there. And as long as there's equity, you can draw against it. And you can, I guess, pay it off at any time if you really want to. That's right. So these old world financial principles about getting a good job and paying off the house, they, they come from us, they come to us, I assume, from a different time where the, the economic environment, the workforce was different. You know, the, the Great Depression was, was probably a recent memory. How has the world changed? And, and, and do you think that, that these, these old financial tenants are, are still around for any particular reason? 
Yeah, look, I think it's an important distinction to make because the world has changed dramatically just in you know, my parents' time, your parents' time, and, and it's been, you know, for some, at a, a frightening rate. And if you listen to a lot of the, the techno um, gurus out there, it's going to continue to change at an even more rapid rate. So it, there's no doubt that uh, the current generation haven't lived through anything like a depression. And so you know, we don't know what it's like to have you know, interest rates you know, at you know, closer to 20% than they are to zero. So that certainly has had a massive impact. And, and obviously with the change in access to information is another thing. Like if there's anything you need to know, yeah, these days you've just got to say it out loud and Google will come back and tell you <laughs> if you've got the right device in your house. So yeah, I think you know, the access to information is important. Interest rates and the, rate, the, the levels that they are at has really you know, changed the investment landscape. And I think also um, banks and their lending practices, I mean, part of that development uh, in recent years is how they uh, use the power of leverage as well. And um, depending on on where you, you get your information, it's you know, a bank can turn $1 into as much as $50 through various lending practices that they have. So that's, again, something that wasn't available in you know, 20, 30, 50 years ago. Um, and you know, the the, the uh, disasters that we saw in America are partly because this got a little bit out of control. But you put all of that together, and you know, it's made it a lot easier to access money. People are a lot more um, readily able to access information about investing, and um, it's just made it a lot easier. So um, there's more people doing it. And the more people do something, the more information and the more support that comes with that. And so, uh, and I think slowly uh, we're starting to overcome the the old tenants that, you know, get a good job, buy the house, you'll be safe. I think that is becoming less and less of mainstream understanding. People are starting to realise that they've got to do more if they're going to be secure in their in their future. We just need a few more uh, of your viral articles and we'll, we'll kick off all, all the bases, Andrew. Yeah, it, it, Anything you can do to help, I'll be happy. <laughs> well, I, I'd certainly recommend people check out your blog. You, you've, re- you've got a really good uh, style. It's, it's an entertaining read and we're, you're able to, to sort of, I guess, tease out fairly complex notions and, and make them ap- approachable. I wanted to ask you about one of them. We, we touched on the net worth one, which is also a good read, but there's also an article about why a budget is useless. Now, I've abbreviated it myself just to make it even, <laughs> even just a bit of my own sort of podcast clickbait. But um, yeah. but what are you getting at there? Uh, look, this one is a real, uh, this one goes a little bit more into the psychology of, of wealth and, and the way we're uh, made to operate. And um, basically, it's, it's, you know, if I was to make it a really simple comparison, I'll compare it to a diet. So everybody knows that they should eat certain foods, yet at times we need to get a diet to come back to eating the right foods. And even though we've got a diet, and it might even be written down, we still can't stick to them. And a, a, the budget applies exactly the same way in that, yeah, people will go to the uh, trouble of creating this really fantastic budget that outlines how they're going to spend their money for the next 12 months, and it says... Uh, at the end of that 12 months, they're going to have this nice sum of money that they've saved and uh, they'll be able to do lots of good things with that money. 
and then that budget gets put in you know the top drawer of the desk or gets you know maybe even gets pinned on the fridge but the problem is it's not with you when you're out there spending and so it, it can't actually control where your money goes so I have a money planner uh, which some people might say well that's just a budget but there's an additional step to the money planner which is to automate the money transfers so they go to different bank accounts um, so that they're where they're supposed to be when you need them to be there and you only have access to a debit card uh, with the amount of money that you've decided is available for your living uh, day-to-day type stuff so that if and we set that up on a seven-day cycle. So if you get into day five and you've emptied that account, then you've got no access to any other money technically until you pay yourself again two days later. And so you know, to control your money, you've got to set mechanisms in place to be able to help you do that rather than rely on a piece of paper that's not with you when you've got that urge to buy that you know, that latest, in my case, you know, cycling equipment or you know, it might be clothing or shoes or whatever whatever your, um, you know, your worst habit might be, uh, a budget won't help you when you're out there and you want to spend that money. I think that the diet analogy is a, a great one and, and I, I would make the comment that if we were that good at sticking to diets, it wouldn't be a multi-trillion dollar global industry right we, we might be good at, at planning or looking for the shortcuts or, or or trying to jot down a roadmap of how we're going to get there but it's another thing to to stick to it and is that where your sort of buckets of cash which you're allocating for for let's say entertainment mortgage haircuts cycling shoes whatever you like is that <laughs> is that where that sort of bridges the gap from something that is just uh, something pinned on the fridge to an actual an actual plan that will work yeah that's right so you, you automate transfers of money to different bank accounts and you only use one debit card or two if you're a family of, of husband wife or whatever your marital status may be um, you have debit cards that are your, your day-to-day expenditure that is, is not necessarily known. Like, you know, you, you're out, you, you spend some money, that's normal and that's you know, it's not something that I try and curtail. But what I do try and do is make sure that people are putting money aside for that electricity bill that only comes every three months or the water bill that only comes every three months or the car repairs that you can't anticipate. So you put a little bit of money away each week for those things that when they come up, the money's there, it's in an account that you don't have day-to-day access to and um, you just pay it from that account and um, that takes stress out of the process. But what it really does is it enables you to stick to what you've planned for your money as opposed to a budget that is just numbers on a piece of paper. And you set that yourself, right? And if you're on the right side of the legend, you've got a bit of extra cash, you might be able to do something fun with it. That's right. Well, we, we certainly make sure. It, maybe. <laughs> well, well the, the key to the whole process is that you pay yourself first. And everyone's heard that terminology before. But um, what a budget doesn't do is, is force you to pay yourself first. Whereas the system that I teach is the first person that gets paid is you or your future self. And we put some money into um, an account that is there to help you invest and you know, for those that have debt, we use some of it to pay down debt or additional debt. So we're paying our minimum payments plus a little bit more and we're putting some money into some investments. 
And by paying ourselves first, we make sure that uh, we're taking care of our future financial self as well. So we're getting into some financial minutia here, and I, I can tell by some of your articles that you're a big pro- pro- proponent of mindset when it comes to investing. It's not just about the product and, and buying it and, and sitting on it and, and hoping it goes up in value. There's a, there's a big mindset can component I can see coming across in, in your content. What What's holding us back from achieving our financial goals in, in wealth creation? Look, I, I, in answering this question, it, it could come across as being arrogant or judgmental, but uh, it's not the intent. And the reason I say that is because the biggest thing holding us back is ourselves. Um, and we all have limiting beliefs as to what we can and can't achieve. And there's a saying that goes around that we overestimate what we can achieve in 12 months and underestimate what we can achieve in five years or 10 years. And it all comes back to some beliefs that we walk around with, you know, things like I can't do it, I'm not smart enough, people like me aren't meant to be wealthy. And these are things that I hear all the time and they're just not true. And so uh, unfortunately uh, our... our three brains work against us to prevent us from success if we let them. And as I said, our biggest um, hurdle is ourselves. How would you recommend people try and overcome that? Obviously, they can contact someone such as yourself, but if we're we're trying to to look after our own path, are are there ways that we can train ourselves to rethink our limitations or set more realistic goals or or think in more of a long-term plan? Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's lots and lots of things you can read, and um, there's plenty of books on the on the topic. Yeah, there's, I mean, most people probably have heard about the book called The Secret, which is all about um, mindset and limit and overcoming limiting beliefs. But it's a simple a simple trick you can do is just for a day, and then maybe after you've done it for a day, try and do it for a week. Is every time you notice yourself having one of those thoughts, is to to stop yourself and change it into a positive thought. And if you can do it for a day, um, even try an hour to start with and just build it up. But every time you, f- you hear yourself having one of those thoughts, stop, re- reconfigure the thought and then move forward. And uh, the more you can do that, the more you'll find that uh, those negative thoughts disappear and um, you start to believe yourself and believe those positive thoughts that you're um, filling yourself with. I think that's good advice. And I've always sort of thought if, if you think you can't do something, you're right. You need to sort of get over that that, that limiting belief, as you say. Um, for what, what's the... That's, uh, it's funny, funny you should bring that up. Uh, I, I taught uh, my kids from a very young age that, uh, that very particular quote, which was, if you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. And my son hates that quote now because when he was about five or six he used to i used to tell him what's that thought again mate and he'd uh, repeat it to me <laughs> so he hates it but uh, i think it's a beautiful quote it'll serve him well you're planting the seeds he'll he'll thank you later <laughs> on i think what's um what's the process for for coaching someone like a property investor towards their financial goals so let's say they they give you a call and they say andrew i need your help where do you start we go right back to the basics to start with to understand um, what we're starting with uh, and I guess my my aim with coaching someone is uh, to provide them with the mechanisms for success and then to just guide them through the, the daily you know, jungle that they'll come across as they're trying to implement and change you know, the way they've operated for however long that uh, has been the case. So. 
you know, I, de- I tend to concentrate on on five areas, which you know, the first one is to clarify their vision and direction, which is where do they want to go, and why. And why is a really crucial part of that process as well. You know, none of this stuff can can be sustainable unless you know why you're doing it. So, again, coming back to mindset, it's really attaching a reason to why you want to create uh, a financially secure future. And it shouldn't be too hard to come up with lots of reasons there. Then I get into strategizing action. So we start creating plans of what you're going to do today, tomorrow, next week, next quarter, next year. So, you know, some real clear, concrete um, plans of what we're going to do. And I do a little bit of upgrading of skills. So we teach you know, how to do property investing, stock investing, and the one that gets you know, forgotten about, which is cash investing. Um, then we look at the environment. So I, I try and optimi- optimize people's environment. And the, the best way to, for me to describe this is um, it's about creating an environment that will support your success. So if I go back to the d- diet scenario, I'm a chocoholic. So <laughs> in terms of optimizing my environment, I had to remove chocolate from the house because I couldn't, I couldn't beat chocolate. If it's in the house, <laughs> I'm going to be eating it. But if it's not in the house, it's a lot harder. And so we try and just look at those type of things when it comes to people's environment, whether it's their where they do their investing, you know, so their office or you know, their, their spare bedroom, whatever it might be, uh, to optimise that for success. And then I touch a little bit on the psychology and you know, we talked about overcoming limiting beliefs and I, I spend a lot of time with people on, on overcoming those. And just dealing with the challenges and whatever else might be holding them back. So, you know, we don't necessarily touch on all five of those uh, points each time we, we speak, but they're, they're the overarching um, umbrella of a, of a coaching program. It's very nice to hear that um, despite your success and the positions that you've held, you're still a man that can be brought undone by a, a humble piece of chocolate, Andrew. <laughs> so I think people will, 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 will enjoy hearing that. Um, I mean, in the podcast, we, obviously, we interview some people that are you know, very successful, high net worth individuals, you know, CEOs such as yourself, but we're, we're all human beings, right? We've all got our, our kryptonite, our, our Achilles heel. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, um, to, I guess, be mentored by some, you know, extremely wealthy people. And, uh, you know, I take great solace in the fact that I'm not the only person that gets undone by chocolate. <laughs> but you're a cyclist, right? So you can, uh, you can convert that into some miles on the road? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, always, I also live by uh, a uh, mantra that you can't out-exercise a bad diet. But, um um, I do sometimes have to do a little bit extra to work off that chocolate that's beaten me. <laughs> I like to think of food in terms of kilometres, either on the bike or running, and, and sometimes you think, do I really want to run a marathon to have this meal? Um, once, once, you, <laughs> once you put it into numbers, it becomes a, a, a powerful tool, right? Yeah, so, so, you, so you, you use numbers as well. Uh, so, I, again, you know, I like to think I'm the nerdy maths guy, but um, yeah, we all use numbers in a in an interesting way, and you've just shown how you use them as well, which is to <laughs> curtail some uh, some of those uh, meals, which is fantastic. Well, un- unfortunately, being in in the triathlon game a few years ago, I've I've found out that skinny is fast. It made me immediately want to take up darts. But yeah, unfo- <laughs> unfortunately, you've got to be accountable if you if you want to get to the get to the top at, at whatever you do, I guess. Andrew, how do people get in uh, contact with you 
Uh, well, look, the easiest way is um, through the web website, which is theinvestorsway.com.au, um, or they can email me, um, andrew at theinvestorsway.com.au, and I'm happy to hear from anybody. And um, on the website, there's a free report. Um, all I ask is for your email address to send it to you. And um, yeah, you can get into my system that way. That's awesome. And I mentioned there's some, some very good blogs uh, available on your website as well. I'd encourage people to check those out. Andrew, it's been uh, a pleasure and time certainly flies when you're having fun. I, I just wanted to, to wrap up if we can. If there's one piece of advice that you would give investors, what would that be? Well, that's, that's really hard for me to choose just one, so I'm probably going to have to sneak in an extra one. But the, the one that I do repeat quite often, particularly in my blog, is that uh, if you want to have a you know, financially secure future, you've got to take some action. Small incremental steps lead to, to big outcomes. So that would be the absolute best one. The other one is um, you can never stop learning. So you know, you've got to read, um, study, get a coach, whatever it is, just never stop learning. Um, this is this is a, an area that is there's no limit of information out there, and uh, if you really get into it, you can you can make great success for yourself. I think that's great advice, and uh, I've really enjoyed the interview today, and I'm sure everyone listening will as well. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. Mike, thanks for having me. It's been great fun. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs>